welcome to the Cinematic Belch, where I, Daniel Carpenter, talk about things pertaining to film, cinematic, in a fast-paced bunch of noise coming out of my mouth, Belch. Some things to know before we really delve into our movie for today. Uh, This podcast is incredibly, beautifully, my own opinion, and no one else's. You can't take that away from me. If you disagree with me, you are more than welcome to do so, but please know this is a space for my opinion. And it's incredibly beautifully biased, but it's incredibly beautifully my own. Uh, I am going to assume through this episode that you've already seen The Grinch. Uh, That includes spoilers, in case you weren't aware. I'm not concerned about political correctedness. I'm more concerned about valid film critique and critical thought. I'm not really worried about um, correcting myself in this. Uh, This is just me talking about the film, my own thoughts, uh as a stimulus, hopefully for you to be making your own opinions about this film. If you disagree with me, I would love to hear that. If you agree with me, then uh, hopefully this reinforces why. And if you disagree, of course, it also helps you form your own thoughts and maybe counter arguments and hopefully seeing this film in a more productive and uh, efficacious light. That being said, let's just jump right into this uh, latest piece of crap in Illumination's non-stop diarrhea splurge of capitalist turds that they call films. That's what this movie is. Um, I do not like Illumination in the slightest. I don't appreciate their contributions to cinema. I think, if anything, they're a detriment to cinema. And you can see that, too, in the opening logo with this film that features other characters, uh, not just the minions this time, their usual cash grab, but also the secret life of pets. Uh, There's a character, too, that pops up there. And this is traditional Illumination. Uh, what they're trying to do, at least that I can ascertain, is uh, franchise building. Secret Life of Pets is getting a sequel that is coming out very soon. And uh, they are clearly trying to make that uh, a staple of their uh, company, as well as Despicable Me. Uh, and clearly, um, not that there's anything wrong inherently with franchise building. It's just that Well, this is classic Illumination. They will pander, and they will try and plug and market as much as possible. Uh, Speaking of pandering, uh, this film overall, The Grinch, is um, there's a lot of pandering to the 3D audiences, especially in the beginning. There wasn't a lot I caught later on, but there's a lot of use of um, three-dimensional transitions. Uh, You see this with a wreath flying through the camera, going to a different shot. You see this with a snowball, uh, snowball throw, excuse me, that is uh, tossed at a character. Um, all of these are blatantly 3D. And honestly, I thought we went past that in the, that phase in the late 2000s. I thought we were past that. But evidently, Illumination is big on keeping uh, the old trends and not letting the past die. Speaking of not letting the past die, this whole film, The Grinch, just feels like a ripoff of Despicable Me. Uh, there's a song in the opening that is sung, um, I think, by Pharrell Williams. Uh, it's like a grittier, darker, more angsty version of The Grinch, which I can't help but think of uh, the Despicable Me song that plays in the very beginning when we're introduced to the character in the same emotional context. There's a scene later on in the film where the Grinch breaks into Mr. Bricklebaum's ma- mansion, I mean house, and he wears a scarf that is exactly... Gru's scarf from Despicable Me. Both characters are angst-ridden for most of the film until they find a heart at the end. They hate everyone, hate everything, until they find those people in their lives that just makes them feel special again, and it's all well and good, and they have a tragic backstory. 
And that being said, um, cute is a phrase that you should well acquaint yourself with when you're talking about this film because cute seems to be its emotional center. You need look no further than Max the dog who is cute and not much else and we'll get into that later on. The Grinch as an orphan for his tragic backstory. Aw, that's cute. Cindy Lou, the perfectly naive girl. Aw, that's cute. See, everything in this film is either an aw or a whoa. You know, whoa, that's so big. Whoa, those gadgets he uses are so cool. Whoa, that tree is massive. Aw, that's such a cute moment. Aw, I feel sad for him. It just, everything can be simplified in this film down to an awe or a woe. There's really no coherent English vernacular that is exceptional at describing this film. You really needn't only look further than just using noises that your body makes. This film really doesn't take any creative risks whatsoever. This is the Grinch story we all know and love, just tainted by the cancer known as Illumination Entertainment. There's really nothing more than this. Um, there's certainly nothing they add to this that could possibly compromise the Grinch we all know and love because, heaven forbid, they should desecrate that which is most sacred to the Dr. Seuss. And honestly, I don't see the need for this film to exist in general, but I'll delve more into that in a bit. I touched on this earlier, but this film is incredibly modernized, and you see Illumination doing this with pretty much everything. Everything needs to be updated, everything needs to be new and old but new, and everything needs to be hashtag relatable, because Lord help us if this generation can't empathize with people of other different time periods or uh, that come from a fantasy world, and we need something modern, we need something real. We need to give Max the dog a 2012 emo teen boy band reject haircut, and we need to make Whoville uh, suspiciously like a shopping mall suburban city village hodgepodge. You'll even notice this. Uh, the Who's, uh, even the Grinch, they live in luxury mansions. Their houses are so big, their cash flow must be considerable. They spend all this money on excessive decorations. Even the Grinch, who lives in a cave, is nice. He has this massive cave with massive big rooms and a big pipe organ and a long dinner table, despite the fact that it's assumed he's been alone his whole life. It's full of capitalist excess we just don't need to see. And the Illumination people probably perceive this as our way of getting to know these characters more like, oh yes, I have a big pipe organ in my house, I can relate to that. Ah, oh, yes, the lonely dinner table. Oh, that makes so much sense. And the Illumination Entertainment folks don't want you to look past the fact that it just simply isn't relatable. It doesn't make sense within the context of the story. The Grinch is lonely, he feels alone, and nothing about his surroundings indicates that. He's a loner in a cave, and yet that cave is so beautifully decorated, so generously and ornately made. It's hard to sympathize with him. Is he alone? Is he really? How did he go into town, get all this stuff? He's just a grouch that lives in a cave, and yet that cave is, it's a luxury mansion, is what it is. Speaking of, Pharrell Williams is used throughout this film, not just as a narrator, but um, as a Singer, which is his primary occupation, and honestly, it's just it's nothing new. 
milk of the cash cow, if the cash cow is all these gullible people that go and see this film and actually enjoy it, then Pharrell Williams is the milk by which they do so. Uh, ever since his happy song from Despicable Me, it just seems that Illumination is incapable of getting rid of him, and it's just cliched, overdone. Pharrell Williams, I will not deny, is a man of many talents, but he does not need to be seen over and over again. He's very much like the Kevin Hart of Illumination's little cinematic universe thing they've got going for them. I just, he's okay in small doses, but just, it's too much of him. Too much of a good thing can lead to something stale, lead to something that is unnecessarily excessive in this film. And excess seems to be much of the theme of this. I don't hate capitalism, but I do hate when that which is supposed to be fantasy, such as Dr. Seuss's uh, portrayal of the Who's as a simple people, but a people that love Christmas regardless of the decorations. And when you portray them as these people that love shopping and love getting big trees and decorations, and it's all about that, it can be harder to see that there's something underneath the skin. So let's talk about The Grinch for a moment. Let's talk about um, the beginning of this film and just kind of work our way through this. The Grinch at the beginning, there's like this joke that's played out with his dialogue where he says Christmas, but he hesitates. He's like, Christmas. Ah. It's so unnecessarily dramatic. You see this too with Despicable Me 3, especially where the heinousness of Illumination's dialogue really shines through. You see, they, they think they can convey to you this funniness through uh, obnoxiously loud and drawn out words like what which isn't funny in any context whatsoever and the fact that people do it goes back to my main point they pander pandering and cuteness is the name of the game with illumination and they will do whatever they can to pander to your tastes even if they you can't relate to much else of the film. If you can relate to one thing and you're entranced by it and you're enticed by it, and that leads you to buy the toys or see the movie and tell people how good it was so that more people see and there's more money involved, that's the Illumination machine. That's what makes them work. And it sickens me that so many people buy into that so easily. This emotional pandering to your emotions, this cuteness, using cute for currency, saying, oh, you like that? You think it's cute? You want to see it again? You want to bring your friends? Well, do it. We'll get more money that way. And it just, it's lazy writing. It's a lazy story. And it's built off the backbone of a child's story that was never meant to be a feature-length extravaganza, and it should have stayed as a children's book. Speaking of uh, cuteness and children and appeal, look at Max. Max is Grinch's dog, and he is the typical cute animal, but he plays a role in what us storytellers would call the straight man, the surrogate for the audience, the person that is hashtag relatable. When the Grinch does something that is overtly weird or unique, I guess, for his character, he's a loner, he's got all these gadgets, and Max just responds to his weirdness. Um, there is a legit question that I had posed um, why does Max stick with the Grinch? We're given no concrete reason why, other than he loves the Grinch. I do believe there's one scene in the movie where the Grinch pets Max and calls him like a good boy or something, but really there's nothing beyond that. There's nothing concrete. There's nothing about the Grinch's character until later where it gives us a solid reason 
that we say, yeah, like, I would totally stick with the Grinch. Why? Like, Max is a slave. He's never really appreciated. He is fed, he is petted, but he isn't loved. There is no reason why. And that just bothers me. I know I've been ranting about this film uh, a lot, and I do rather enjoy picking this apart, but it does have its good moments. Uh, there's one sequence in the beginning of the film when the Grinch is going to Whoville to get uh, supplies, buy things, and uh, the carolers, the Christmas carolers, begin to assault him. They begin um, emerging from their doorways, and uh, they just don't leave him alone. Even when he thinks he's safe, they still find a way. There's a reference to West Side Story where they snap. They just they do the snap dance, and that got me because it was genuine. It was unexpected, and it plays off this trope of, yeah, these Christmas carolers following him around everywhere. It was this playful hyperbolization of reality. It wasn't unrealistic. It was funny. It was played, how should I say this? It was unrealistic, but to a tasteful degree. It wasn't excessive. It wasn't in your face. It was just, it didn't overstay its welcome. And I, I actually genuinely enjoyed that part. Uh, soon after, we are familiar with the Grinch's life as a loner with his slave dog, Max. We're introduced to the single mom, who was later revealed to be Cindy Lou's mom. I'm calling her the mom just for the sake of there's really no other character who is a mom. And you all know what I mean when I say the mom. Um, and she's in there just, it feels like she's there to pander just for the single moms. She's never in the book. It's just Cindy Lou. And so much of Cindy Lou's home life, we can safely assume, is a construct entirely devised by Illumination Entertainment. Uh, she is a single mom for the single moms to relate to. And I'm not saying that's a terribly bad thing. There's a lot of single moms out there. It just feels very blatant. And perhaps that's my bias speaking through. I mean, Illumination certainly knows how to pander to audiences. It's just it's done so shamelessly, so blatantly, and it's... It's annoying, and it ruins my enjoyment of anything that can be enjoyed in this cancerous machine. Anyway, the mom goes on to make toast for her kids, and it's revealed, psych, she's a ninja. A closeted ninja at that. She, uh, she reaches over, she's like, oh, the toast is about to burn, so she grabs the toast, does a few ninja moves, and then throws the toast at her kids, and it gracefully lands safely in front of them. And in all honesty, this isn't an original idea. It's actually kind of a cliche nowadays. Uh, Granny Gran from Hoodwinked honestly did it far better. Uh, the whole closeted ninja thing of this person is uh, little be known to anyone else. This person has magical, uh, physical um, abilities that defy physics. And um, it's tried. It's a dead horse that Illumination likes beating to the ground because they love safe writing. Anyway, let's talk about one of the bigger characters in this film, or should I say bloated characters, because she's bloated to be one of the bigger characters. That is Cindy Lou. Cindy Lou who, who I will now hear and refer to as the girl, because that's really all she is. She isn't even much of a character. She looks, in fact, like an amalgamation of all three orphan girls from Despicable Me, the awkwardness, the confidence, the shyness, the cuteness. She's cute. But that's really all there is to her. There isn't much of an arc to her. Also, there's Mr. Bricklebaum, who is this racially ambiguous character. Bearded fellow lives on the side of the mountain. 
same kind of a next door neighbor, again, hashtag relatable to the Grinch, uh, the illumination and people want to show you, hey, can you relate to that? You know, that one guy who's over enthusiastic about Christmas. But I think they take these traits and explode them to an unrealistic degree. Mr. Brickabalm doesn't just like Christmas. He seems sexually aroused by it. When he sees Santa, he screams, that's the best thing ever. Like, oh, that's Santa. Oh, my gosh. You know, and it's just... <sighs> Mr. Bricklebaum, you need help. Uh, I said racially ambiguous earlier. He's voiced by Keenan Thompson, who is an SNL um, member. He's a, a black man, but this character, interestingly, has uh, white, I mean orange skin underneath, but he's coated in this black facial hair. And it just seems to me that Illumination really didn't know what to do with this character. Like, oh, do we want him voiced by a black man but make him look white so that both races like him? I don't know. Uh, I don't really care. I don't want to read too much into Illumination's intentions, motivations, because they seem nothing more than just money to me. They don't really seem interested in making a coherent story, much less capable of putting thought into a character certainly as minor as Mr. Bricklebaum is. Anyway... Later on in the film, we hear this loud noise, and the Grinch goes outside and, and is shocked, as we are, to see this massive tree being dropped into Whoville for Christmas. And it honestly just doesn't make sense. Why would the Grinch be so surprised by something that is assumed to be done every year by the Who's? It's really nothing, but the only reason the Grinch is really surprised is that we are surprised. Um, speaking of the Who's, there's really no motivation for any of them. They just exist as they are and act cute. Mr. Bricklebaum is just happy all the time and loves Christmas. Nothing changes. Nothing about him. We don't learn anything about him. And uh, some characters in film are like that, but uh, he's not the biggest character we have. The girl, she really just says cool things. She only loves her mom and she seems incapable of sinning. The mom always means well. She's always there for her kids. Uh, she's always busy with work. There's really nothing. These are all stagnant, static characters. And the only arc the Grinch ever gets that's truly and well, it's perfectly done, is that which is based off the book. So there's really nothing new that is added to this. The Grinch is a walking, talking contradiction. Is he appalled by Christmas? He um, he's claims to be, and that's kind of his shtick. But there's a scene where uh, with Max, his dog, and Fred, the moose, who um, he sets up this Christmas uh, imitation of a living room, uh, a traditional Whoville living room, just so we can teach them the, the things to avoid, right? Avoid the presents, avoid the cookies at all costs. Question is, why would the Grinch, if he is so appalled by Christmas, to the point where he can't even say the name properly off his lips, why is it that he would go through the trouble to make this perfectly decorated living room as meticulous and perfectly made as a Christmas thing can be? It just doesn't make sense. Why would you try to create perfectly that which you're trying to destroy? It doesn't. It doesn't make any sense. It's inconsistent with his character. If he's truly appalled by Christmas, he'll just tell them, hey, these presents, avoid them at all cost. Now, some of you who are listening to this podcast, some might actually like this film, God Save You. You might say, um, Daniel... That's all well and good, but honestly, this is foreshadowing. The Grinch secretly likes Christmas. He just doesn't want to admit it. And I would give you credit, except for the fact that, well, the Grinch, that's giving them too much credit. That's giving Illumination too much credit. Why does the Grinch 
hate Christmas? And Illumination doesn't even answer this question right. It doesn't even ask this well. And the only answer I really have is the power of cute. We only care about the Grinch because he's cute. It makes no sense why the Grinch would reject the whole Whoville community on the premise of he was lonely one Christmas morning and then that determined the trajectory of his entire life. Like, how weak and fragile was he as a kid? There's different avenues you could go down with this. I'm not saying that the orphan route is the best way, but Illumination never goes down any of these avenues. They're not, they're even insecure about these new liberties they're taking on the script because they want people to say, ah, that's the Grinch I remember. Uh, and um, Illumination, uh, as uh, smart and witty as they pretend to be, they can't help themselves when it comes to the lazier parts of writing humor for children's movies. There's a scene where Max... Uh, delivers his food one day and is shocked to see the Grinch doing a squat workout and we're given a few gratuitous booty shots of the Grinch. It's butts. It's funny. <laughs> it's it's great. Oh my goodness. Um, Cindy Lou has this... The girl has this... The girl has this unhealthy propensity to run away from home and try to see uh, Santa... And based on the relationship she has with her mother, you imply it's implied she can get away with murder because the mom seems to sympathize with our thoughts that this girl can't sin. This girl can't do anything wrong. If the girl decides to go out one day and say, Mommy, I want to run away and do meth and smoke cocaine with my kids, the mom would say, Okay, sweetie, see you at 10. Like, this girl is given way too much freedom for her implied age, which is like five. Her and her friend go to this treehouse that's secret and kept away from her mom. How do they build that? And even if they didn't build that, how does it exist that far away from home? It just seems impractical as a parent as, well, anything else. Speaking of laziness, ignoring the butt jokes, there is a fart noise in the film when the Grinch uh, squirts out some waffle syrup. And I think it's just Illumination's way of saying, Oh, get it? We were able to sneak in a fart joke without seeming lazy. Oh, look at the wit. Oh, it's abundant. No, it's just lazy. It seems all the filmmakers spent their budget on for this was notable voice actors and snow physics. And even the snow, which is, I will add, beautifully animated, it just seems like they could... It doesn't surprise me if they copy-pasted Disney's snow animation from Frozen, which was six or so years ago. Uh, We've kind of evolved past that in animation, but it wouldn't surprise me in the least if that was straight ripped off. Let's talk about the voice actors for a second, because they're all pretty well notable, uh, if not well-known figures for adults and for kids, again, going back to the pandering. But Benedict Cumberbatch is an interesting choice, and not even because of his voice, because I think his deep voice would be appropriate for the Grinch, but he talks the whole time as if someone when he was a child kicked him so far hard in the nuts that his testicles went into his stomach and have begun the slow, painful process of falling back down. And he sounds like that. He's like, oh, hello, Max, get me the the rope. I don't, like, he just sounds like he's been kicked in the nuts and he is not recovered. And it sounds like every single movement is painful. It's just egregious and annoying. And it begs the question, what was wrong with Benedict's regular default voice? It makes no sense. There's a character, if you can call him that, Fred the Moose. I I mentioned him earlier. He is a family, uh, which is revealed later in the script. And uh, begs the question again, what was his point 
in the film. Oh, I'll help you power your sleigh because I'm fat, which is funny, but I'm also powerful. No wait. Psych! I have a family and a life. Ah, on your face, Mr. Grinch. I shall remind you that no one loves you and that I will increase your crippling depression. There are some good parts in the ending of the movie. There's some nice gadgets. Uh, the candy cane multi-purpose tool, basically the Grinch's answer to the Swiss army knife. It is really clever and interesting how they do some of the things. It is, at the very least, aesthetically appeasing to watch. The Grinch does look good with a beard. Uh, but then towards the end of the film, um, the Grinch hesitates towards the Who's invitation, uh, towards the girls' invitation for him to join them in their festivities. Um, and then the fact that the girl approached him is interesting. And I wish Illumination had done more with that, but it wasn't ever elaborated on and doesn't change much of anything. Um, the music, oh, the music. There's one thing that can't be disputed about this film, and that is the music. It never stops. Now, as a storyteller, and frankly, as a filmmaker, I can say there is power in silence. Silence, when it's done well, no, when it's done, it can add so much to a film because the audience won't know how to feel. We have to um, really listen in and invest in the scene. Where's it going? Where's the direction? And if the scene is done well, if the dialogue is written well, if the characters are complex enough, then we should be able to determine, okay, this is where the scene is going, and oh my goodness, what's going to happen? If the suspense is done well, if the humor is done well, then there shouldn't need to be music. Music can help, but when it's done all the time, it's like it's telling us how to feel. Oh, this is a whimsical moment. We should feel inspired. Oh, this is a sad moment. We should feel sad. Oh, this is a cute moment. We should feel like we uh, appreciate that. And it's just, it's so lazy. And the pinnacle of cuteness happens with the girl's arc, Cindy Lou's arc. Uh, because anything that's established about her in the beginning, if you read the book, you know that it builds up to her interaction with the Grinch. And honestly, there's really nothing there. There's no emotional payoff whatsoever. Uh, she forgives the Grinch immediately at the end of this film because, let's be honest, she's never sinned and she ain't about to start now. She loves the Grinch and casually forgives him despite his deceptions. And not only is that not realistic, it's a little scary how easily she drops the hat. The Grinch has deceived the whole town, stripped them of all their stuff that they bought from all the stores, and she just drops it. She drops it like it's nothing. Now, to Illumination's credit, the ending is surprisingly restrained. Um, there, the music isn't as... Well, the music is present, but it isn't as in-your-face... And uh, except for the screaming vine goat at the very end of the film, because apparently that's still funny from Lord knows how many years ago, uh, the ending does feel surprisingly restrained. And uh, while that isn't a good thing to say that, I can tip the hat towards Illumination for at least knowing that what's annoying and how to almost create that which might be perceived as an emotional moment. Some ending thoughts. Um, the Grinch could do a lot to help Whoville, and this is an example of a creative risk that I think could pay off. Uh, the Grinch is established throughout this film as probably the most educated man in all of Whoville. He has a lot of books, technical expertise, uh, engineering proficiency. He creates these gadgets and 
Santa mimicking technology within the span of probably a day or so, or at least a week, uh, Illumination doesn't exploit this. Um, why doesn't he, and I thought this is the direction they were going, why doesn't Illumination do the route of the Grinch is caught, the Grinch uh, gives back all of the decorations and the presents, and then what, what about if the Grinch used his engineering expertise to better the city? Like, what if he started making their transit systems better, make everyday life easier? Why does he keep it all to himself? It just seems too clever to me. It seems like his engineering expertise is just not used well in this whole thing. Um, a lot of... This version of the Grinch really doesn't add anything. It's nothing we haven't seen before. There's the book, there's the Chuck Jones version, which was faithful and short as it needed to be. It didn't add excessive amounts of bloated matter we don't need. The question is, why does this version need to exist apart from the money? The answer, it doesn't need to. It's throwawayable. It's expendable. It's not needed. It doesn't have anything worthy enough of commentary. Nothing that could be called commentary. It doesn't have anything to say. It doesn't have a message. The Grinch um, likes to rant about the who's love of capitalism, their, their excessive spending, their purchasing of all these goods and presents, and it doesn't really match with him feeling neglected. It doesn't. He sees them buying all this stuff, and he hates it, even though he himself has a lot of stuff. It's just blatant hypocrisy. A lot of people that I've talked to, actually, about this film, heaven forbid, have said, well, Daniel, it's just a kid's movie. It's, it's just for kids. It, it gets a pass because it's so trashy. It's just for kids. And in this day and age especially, that's a bunch of baloney. Look it up. It came out in 2009. It had a lot to say about mortality. Look at Zootopia, which came out a few years ago. Look at what it had, it had to say on racism. There's all these adult messages so cleanly and nicely and simply packaged in these kids' films that makes it digestible, digestible and appreciative for both kids and adults. There is great conversation you can have with your kids about seeing Up in Zootopia. What conversation do you have to have with your kids about the Grinch? In the last 10 years, the bar for animation especially has been raised. Kids are smarter than you think, and art is art. Art should take something that is in real in art should take something that is in reality and creatively package it in a way where we can look at that and not only enjoy it, but also think about it. It's beautiful, and I've always found this to be incredible for animation and film. But I always love how far removed it can take us from reality. And yet, when it's all said and done, when the message has been spoken, it brings us somehow closer to reality. There's a beauty in that that I think is absolutely incredible. And so the question is, why not? If these superior kids' films exist, like Up, like Zootopia, which I would highly recommend if you haven't seen them, why not indoctrinate kids into a more refined art a bit early in life? good movies, have them become raised on good taste. It's just a kid's movie is simply not a valid excuse anymore. 
And for you, those of you out there who have listened this far diligently, who don't like the Grinch, first off, kudos to you for listening. I appreciate it. I hope you can realize that Illumination is probably the lower end of taste out there for animation. But for those of you who still cling to that hope that this isn't actually that bad of a movie, try describing why you like this film without using the phrase, I felt, or I can relate, and see what reasons you do have. What is there? Yeah, the animation is good, and there's some interesting color ideas, but what does this movie have to say to you? What's the reason you should keep seeing this film over and over and over again? What's there, What immortal value is there that will not die, even if the film's appeal does? This is a clickbait film. There's really nothing more it can say other than, aww, or whoa. There's nothing there. It's solely emotional appeal, and that's what makes me sick about Illumination Entertainment in general. The emotional grabs for attention that it can so often throw at us and oftentimes spit in our faces, it feels like. We deserve better. Our kids deserve better. And I hope that after you've, after you've listened, and I hope that after you've listened to this podcast that you can understand that you deserve better too. We deserve films that say something, not that pander relentlessly at our emotions with music, not emotional, manipulative films that try and tell us how we should feel. I'm Daniel, and this is The Cinematic Belch. Thanks for listening.